Blog Talk Radio. Hi there, I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech language pathologist, and welcome to Teach Me to Talk, the podcast. And I'm so excited that you joined me today. We had a really huge show lined up for today, but I'm afraid there's been some kind of emergency. Our guest is not available. I am going to do the backup plan. (laughs) And in case she calls in, uh, that'll be fine too. But we're just going to move forward because sometimes with live events, these kinds of things happen and they're completely out of our control. So what we're going to talk about today is making books better for toddlers with language delays. Now, this will also be an upcoming therapy guide on my new website, myei2.com, but that's, it's not going to be released for a little while, but I wanted to go ahead and share this information with you today. Now, one of the first pieces of advice a mother is given when she's expressing concerns about late talking is read to your baby. But for lots of kids, that is easier said than done. Do you know what I mean by that? For many toddlers with language delays, it's nearly impossible to get them to enjoy a book. So today I have lots of tips to share with you for making books better. And let's begin with something that you may already know, but you may not hear someone say in this direct, plain-spoken language. It is okay if a toddler with a developmental delay does not like books. (laughs) Sometimes even those little guys hate books. Uh, and you'll try to bring a book out to use with them if you're a mom at home just reading with them or a speech pathologist or another kind of therapist in a therapy session, and you immediately get a protest or any kind of um, sign of disinterest. Sometimes, though, toddlers with delays do seem to like books, but only under very special and specific circumstances, like when they are in total control. And so reading with that kind of kid is not a shared activity. When you really start looking at what they're doing, you may realize that a child like that isn't even really looking at the pictures because he might take that little book and flip those pages really hurriedly or hold it right in front of his little face with his eyes just right down there looking at the pages. And in this instance, we know that he's not really taking in that information as we think he is, he's really engaging in visual self-stimulatory behaviors. So in any of these cases, from the child who runs screaming from the room when you bring out a book, or if the child becomes angry and tries to rip that book apart, (laughs) or in the case that we just talked about, when a child is using a book to get his little visual bump, there's no language learning going on. So for those kinds of kids, what do you do? Well, we have to remember that any time we're fighting a kid to get him to stay with you or if you're fighting with him, even to let you hold the book, it's not a productive activity. He's not going to learn what words mean during that instance because he's engaged in that power struggle. And don't kid yourself. You are not going to be successful teaching him language by using books. So for many of these kinds of kids, you'll need to get some other tricks, some additional strategies so that you can engage their attention, so that you can entice them to participate with you. And finally, then and only then will you be able to help them learn what words mean and learn language and learn to talk as you enjoy looking at the books together and eventually reading together. 
So today we're going to be talking about 10 different activities that you can use to really move a child through that continuum to the point of not engaging with the book at all through letting um, you read the story and him, him sitting there with you. Okay, each of the strategies is a little different and some of the activities will be more beneficial for some kids than others. And that's just with any kind of activity that we use um, in therapy sessions or again if you're a parent at home with a child. You can really take these and um, tailor them to what's going on with the specific child that you're working with. And as we go along, I'll talk about which kinds of children usually respond best to each of the activities. I'm also going to suggest several specific book titles for you to try so that you can duplicate the activity exactly as we talk about it, and then you'll be able to take that strategy and transition it to similar books. So what I hope to talk about today is more than theory. I want you to have absolutely usable strategies so that you can listen to this show right now, wherever, whenever you're listening, and be able to use these things with your own child at home or uh, your next work day if you're a therapist. So first of all, before we begin with the specific activities, though, let's talk a little bit about the developmental milestones that we look for with young children regarding books and pictures. Now, most of the time, these kinds of skills are included in tools or our tests when we're looking at cognition or the cognitive domain. And for those of you who are not therapists, those are our thinking and learning skills. And again, we try to separate that from language, but that's not always possible. And so there's lots of overlap here. Knowing the milestones is important because you have to figure out exactly where a child is currently functioning. And by this, therapists call this your developmental age uh, rather than a child's true chronological age. And again, if you're a mom listening and these are new terms for you, <laughs> chronological age means how old he is according to his birthday. And so if your child celebrated his birthday this month, his second birthday, he is 24 months old, but that might be really different from his developmental age. If he's not saying much of anything, hasn't mastered more complex play, isn't following a lot of directions, he may be developmentally 12 months versus his 24 month chronological age. So that's something that we're going to talk about as, as we go today. Um, and let's back up to that looking at, at books as a cognitive skill or the things that we're going to be talking about and measuring and I, I so believe that cognition is often overlooked when we're developing speech therapy goals for a child with language delays. So in addition to looking at our language goals and coming up with those, we also have to pay attention to the kinds of skills that a child is exhibiting across developmental domains when we're looking at using books. Because books um, encompass lots of different skills, our motor skills, when we're thinking about a child being able to physically manipulate the pages in the book, and certainly, again, cognition plays a huge role in this. We have to weave all of these kinds of goals into our individual treatment sessions with children when we're, when we're thinking about using books. And at the very least, we have to make sure um, that we're considering these milestones and so that we're matching where a child is currently functioning developmentally and what that next little goal ought to be 
so that we're working uh, at the right level with the child. So many times that we jump ahead, we'll think, you know, my goal is for him to sit and listen to do a whole story when there are so many little skills that come first. So we're going to walk through the kinds of skills that I think are important when we're thinking about using books as a therapy strategy. And if you are interested in a, a complete list of these literacy milestones, you can find those by doing an Internet search. I have pulled the highlights out for us to talk about, and particularly the ones that are relative to language development, because, again, that's what our focus is with this show. All right, so let's take a look at those milestones. Babies who are typically developing enjoy looking at pictures and books by 10 months to 12 months of age, so right before that first birthday. So if you were working with a child who was not developmentally in that range, he or she may likely not enjoy books yet and may not be cognitively ready to understand or use books yet. And that's not to say that babies with typically developing skills don't like books at younger ages. We know that they do. My own three children, I would say they love books from birth, but not all kids are like that. So that's why we have to share the milestones, talk about it with parents, and really understand what they mean. And let's, let's back up a second and talk about what our milestones mean. Most of the time, for a milestone to be listed on a test, a test that a therapist would use or another medical professional, that's set at the age of when 90% of children achieve a skill. So kids who are average and above average always perform that skill earlier than what we see on that list. And be really careful when you're looking at a milestone list that you're seeing if it's Pulled from a test, like I said, like therapists use, because, that, again, those age ranges are going to be really generous, and they're going to be listed as when nearly all children have achieved that skill. But sometimes on parenting sites or in a, a parenting magazine or a parenting book, they might include um, a skill unlisted as average. But I want you to be really careful so that you're knowing what the age range that you're looking at really, really means. And again, for us, for today, we're taking that that age as when 90% of kids have achieved that goal. So again, we're looking at that 10 to 12-month developmental period as when most children seem to be, or have this age range of, of exhibited <laughs> that they like working at books with you. Okay. Many times, as speech-language pathologists, we miss this piece. <laughs> we'll introduce pictures as a communication strategy for a child who's not yet at this developmental level. Have you seen this happen in your own practices? Maybe you've, you've come on a case late. You're the replacement therapist, as I like to say. <laughs> You're not the first person who's seen a child. And again, it may be a child with multiple issues, a child with global developmental domains, and language-wise and cognitively, you have him scored down at that level that maybe six to nine months. So again, well above his chronological age, but then someone along the way has suggested that this child is ready to use pictures communicatively. And just purely looking at that child from a developmental perspective, we know that's not true. We know he's not ready to be symbolic. And so, again, I'm not saying that we can't use books with children or p even pictures with children in this age range. I'm just saying when a child 
seems not to like it and doesn't seem to be catching on and you don't think that he's making the connections, it's because he's not. <laughs> and it may not be the best strategy. And, again, we'll keep talking about that as we go. If that's the first time you've heard this or the first time you've thought about it, I'll give you some more things to uh, consider as you were thinking about children in that developmental range. So, again, 10 to 12 months is when we would start to, or not start, but when we would see that most children have started to really enjoy books. So what would come next? What's past that little, I like the book, still? The next step would be at around 12 months, and, again, this is developmentally, a child should start to pat a picture or perform some kind of simple action on the picture. Now, many children love this kind of game, and we'll talk about how to get this going with kids who aren't as eager to do this and who don't immediately jump in and start to do those kinds of things on their own. That's a specific activity that we'll, we'll target, and it's certainly a really early skill that we see children start to exhibit with books. Pointing also emerges at this developmental level, so you'll notice that a child begins to point to pictures as he's looking at books. And again, this may not be as communicative as we would like to see eventually. It may just be that initial awareness piece with, I'm going to put my, my finger right here to show you that this is what I'm talking about. Now, when a child reaches this developmental level, he or she should also be able to resist the urge to automatically mouth the book. And it's a really important developmental milestone that we cannot overlook as therapists. So what does that tell you? Let's look at this from the other perspective. If you are seeing a child that the very first thing he does is stick that book in his little mouth rather than look at the pictures, rather than try to turn the pages, rather than try to do anything else to check out the book, He's telling you that he is at that less than 12 months developmental level. And we, again, this is how we use these milestones. We use it to really determine where a child is functioning. So um, if a child, again, resorts to mouthing it first, you know he's developmentally younger than that 12 to 15-month range. And, and why does he do that? Because he doesn't know how to use that book in the right way. What does that mean? It means that his play skills aren't emerging or progressing. And, again, this would be if he did this with everything that goes into his little hands. you had kids like that on your caseload? Are you living with a child like that right now? It doesn't matter what you give them. The child's first instinct is to get it in his little mouth. And, again, he's giving you some really important information about where he's functioning. The other piece of information we get from that accent is that Sensory needs are really his primary driving force. And how I can say that is that he doesn't have enough um, impulse control to do anything other than get it in my mouth, get it in my mouth, suck it, chew it, you know, whatever he happens to do there. And so it can give you just some really important information about where that child is developmentally. So what do you do with kids like this? Well, you focus on building cognition and their play skills, and, again, that might mean anything from motor coordination to the, the simple problem-solving, learning what cause and effect means, learning about object permanence, any of those little cognitive skills that come first. And you'll also work on meeting a child's sensory needs so that he can move on developmentally and begin to use books for what they're intended for, which is to look at them, to process information visually. 
And so books for kids who are not ready are not the best way to address those kinds of goals with building cognition, building play skills, and, again, um, meeting their sensory needs. So with those kinds of kids, I put the books away. And I don't use them again until the child is making progress and until he's demonstrating more readiness and, frankly, until this activity isn't a power struggle. If I am constantly saying, no, you know, don't chew the book, we don't eat the book, or whatever I say or you say, then we know that that's become um, a non-productive activity. So anytime we have something in therapy, it doesn't matter whether we're talking about books or a particular toy or whatever, any any activity that we would use that would become a power struggle um, is not going to be something that I think we should waste our therapy time doing. So we're going to move on and find something more productive to do, and, and we don't want to spend our whole entire time with the child redirecting behavior. That's no fun for anybody. That's no fun for the kid. It's no fun for parents. <laughs> if a parent is watching you as a therapist in a session, it is painful for a mom or a dad to have to sit through you constantly redirecting that child. That No one has won in that situation. And again, we're losers in that situation too when we constantly are doing something other than what we're there to do, which is help a child learn to communicate and make sense of his world um, with language. So what's your next little goal uh, after we've found something more productive to do? Uh, or, or for the children, again, who are moving along developmentally. By 15 months, we want a child to turn pages in a book on his own. Even if he's got two to three pages at a time, even if it's not as pretty or refined as you would like to see it, you still want to see that motor process emerging. And why is that? Because he tells you he gets it. He understands what he's supposed to do to look like he's reading the book. So he keeps going. He knows you're supposed to look at a page and then flip it and see what's next and then flip it and see what's next. And so, again, we like to see that coming in, especially when we're thinking about a whole child. All right, what would come next? Sometime between 12 to 18 months, Excuse me. a child will begin to write a picture when it's presented upside down or sideways. And again, sometimes a parent will tell us that a child loves looking at books, but when we observe him, we realize all, the pages are upside down and he doesn't seem to care. So what's that telling us? <laughs> it's telling us he has not reached that milestone yet, and he's not yet beyond that 18-month developmental level, because if he were, he would be exhibiting this skill. And so this is an easy one to work on. What do you do when you see a kid that's not doing it? Well, you fix the book when you notice that it's not right, and you see how readily he accepts this change. Okay, shortly after this time, around 16 to 18 months, a child will begin to recognize and point to pictures. Now, some tests, some measures like the HELP, which is the Hawaii Early Profile, are really specific about the skill. And they'll say that a child should identify four animal pictures at 16 to 21 months or correctly select five to seven pictures of familiar objects and people by 21 to 30 months. You'll have to look at the test that you use and figure out if your tool, your assessment, also scores it at that range because, again, there's a lot of variability there. I've kind of learned and leaned to that by 
you know, 24 months, I, by two, I really want a child pointing to several pictures of familiar objects when I ask them, you know, where's the ball, where's the baby, where's the car? That's certainly something that we want to see a child do by 24 months. If we break it down a little further, what are a couple of little skills that come just before that? By 19 to 24 months, we want to see that a child can match objects to pictures. And again, that happened a lot. I'll have a child who's not yet pointing to a picture on request, but then we'll back them down a little bit, and they can match an object, a real thing, to a similar or the same picture of that. So that's something you can look for. And again, our therapy activities will be tailored to meet all of these milestones and, and kind of get you there, help the child get there. But that, that's a little trick that I want you to start thinking about even now. Uh, one other skill that comes in right at this level, by 21 to 24 months, a child should be able to recognize himself in a photo. So a lot of times we spend <laughs> time with younger babies, 12 months, 15 months, 18 months, and doing a lot of trying to teach them, you know, that's you, that's, and you'll say whatever the child's name is. But, but really our milestones tell us that that skill doesn't develop until a little bit later. All right, by 24 to 27 months, children should be able to match pictures. And, again, that's huge. A lot of times we'll try to play those little memory games or any kind of little game with a child who seems like he's not understanding it. And guess what? It's because he doesn't. <laughs> and matching comes after. Matching pictures comes after doing the other things that we've already talked about. And, again, sometimes we don't look at these skills as sequentially as we should. Other things that should come in at the same age level, finding details in a picture. So that would be if you were looking at a picture of a dog, and you could say, where's his tail? Show me his nose. Or if you were looking at a car, you could say, show me the wheels, show me the door. And that would be finding details or finding parts of pictures. Other um, more language kinds of focuses at 24 to 27 months developmental level would be selecting pictures with action words. And again, I think sometimes therapists try to do this way too early as soon as we see that a child is doing some nouns at 18 months, you may go ahead and start to try to bump them up and, and look at, or even use this before we even see that a child can correctly identify some nouns. And so we need to remember that those uh, verbs and, and picture identification with that with verbs and action words come later. Uh, and the other thing that a child should be able to do with this level, the other skill, is to recognize a familiar adult in a photo. And that happens a lot. When you first notice a child can pick himself out of a picture, then and only then does he begin to also pick out mommy and daddy and, and be able to identify them on request. So think about the milestones that we just talked about. Many times we expect children to be able to do these things with books, even though we may know in their minds that developmentally they are functioning at ages well below the milestones that we're looking at. And what does that tell us? It tells us that the child is just not there yet. The main skill that we mess this up with is this one, this last milestone that I'm going to give you. By 27 to 30 months, a child should listen to a story read by an adult. All right. We often expect children who are functioning at much, much, much younger developmental levels to sit and attend as we read to them. 
We also may have entire programs develop, uh, devoted to that. The little library programs for two-year-olds, yes, many children will be able to do that because they are average and above average, but it is unrealistic with our little guys, particularly for our children with language and cognitive delays, to be able to sit through an entire story, especially when it's read by an adult other than someone familiar to them. And so I wanted to be sure to uh, talk about that and be sure that you're recognizing that. So sitting through an entire story may not happen for kids until they're developmentally two and a half. All right, these milestones are so important because they help us figure out where a child is and it helps us know what that next little skill should be in therapy. And remember, with any skill we're working on, it doesn't matter what it is, we have to start with where a child is currently functioning the day you see him and then move on from there. You don't ever really start with what you want your goal to be. You figure out what your overall goal is, then you figure out where the child is currently functioning, and then you as a therapist look at all the steps that lead to that. And for us, if you're thinking, or if you're a mom now and you're thinking, I just really want my child to be able to enjoy a book at night when I read to him. I've told you all the things that have to come first before you're going to get the kind of participation that you are probably expecting. So let's think about how to help children develop some of these skills and how and talk about how we can choose the right activities so that we are looking at things and approaching using books from a developmental level. And again, let me just do a couple of more little practical application milestones from the other way, kind of looking at it negatively. If a child's primary activity with books is mouthing and throwing right now, why would you sit down with him and try to get him to name pictures in the book? He's telling you, I can't do it. I'm not there yet. There's so many things he has to learn first. He has to learn how to attend to the pictures and turn the pages and write the picture if it's upside down. All those things have to happen first. What happens if you have a child who is attending, who does seem to like the pictures, and again, he's trying to flip, but he doesn't notice that the book is upside down. That tells you, too, he's not ready to point to pictures when you say, where's the dog? Show me the cat. He's not ready for that developmentally. So we have to be sure that we're matching our therapy strategies with where a child is currently functioning because otherwise you're just setting yourself and that child up for failure. Anytime we get really focused about meeting a child where he is developmentally and then we move on just one little tiny baby step above that, children make much more progress than if we're working kind of from the top down, if we're starting with what our overall goal is. So, again, I hope that you're going to be able to take this information, take these specific activities, meet a child where he is, and therefore maximize your efforts and make yourself more effective. All right, so our first activity with books. What's the number one thing we want to see a child do? Well, it's complete simple actions with books. So let's talk about how we can help a child move toward um, that milestone and how we work our language in here, work our language goals in. All right, for all of the activities that I'm talking about today with books, I really recommend that you get yourself some cardboard books. Heavy-duty cardboard books are really the best with toddlers. I admit it, 
right here in front of God and everybody, I get crazy when a child rips a paper page in one of my books. So I don't even go there. I don't even present that as an option for a child in therapy, and especially with one that I, I'm not absolutely sure that that won't happen. So just avoid the hassle, avoid the conflict, avoid the power struggle, and go ahead and buy yourself some really durable cardboard books. Now, I also love books that have realistic photographs. And again, this is especially important for our children who aren't naturally attracted to books. I have some fantastic ones that I'm that I use and that I'll recommend as we go. And so, um, again, I hope that you, that's something that you've one trick that you've already learned. Now, one of the earliest milestones that we talked about was awareness of the book or enjoyment, and then it's completing simple actions with the books. So, what I like to do is get a book with a character that a child likes, or with animals, or the one thing that's a hit with most toddlers is using a book with pictures of babies. Have you noticed that before, that even babies like looking at babies? Yeah, the book manufacturers know that too. And you can find all kinds of books um, if you're browsing in a real bookstore or if you're looking online like Amazon. That might be one of the things that you'll search, you know, books with baby faces. That's the name of the book that I use most often. It's called Baby Faces, and it's by DK Publishing, and mine was published in 1998. And it's a great one because, again, the pictures are really, really enticing. So what do we do here? What's our goal? It's that the child will imitate some actions with um, the book or with the picture. So what are some things that we can have a child do when he's looking at pictures of the baby. Well, we can have him kiss the baby or pat the baby or hug or tickle or rock or feed or wash or knock. And again, it doesn't have to make 100% sense to you, but just a simple motor action or a body movement that your child could do to copy what you're doing. And this kind of teaching is great for kids who like books but aren't really interactive yet. Or it's great for kids who don't quite have the play skills that you would like to see yet. And it's also great for kids that you're really working on simple directions or that, that first little rung of receptive language goals when you're having them copy what you're doing. And that might mean that you can't just tell your child that you're working with, kiss the baby. Pat the baby, feed the baby. You can't really do that. You've got to model that, and you've also got to be into it yourself, So, which means that you're going to be exciting and fun and playful so that you are really teaching the child how to imitate actions. Now, this is one of the first developmental steps in, in really learning anything, but especially in learning how to talk. So how do we work on this with the child? Well, again, we're going to introduce the book. Now, we want to make it at a time when he's more likely to allow us to help him. So if the child is all wound up and jumping from <laughs> couch to chair, couch to chair, in the den, as you're trying to get him to settle down and read the book, that's probably not the best time to try a book. You would want to try to introduce the book when he's a little more calm. Now, I like holding toddlers in my lap, and I do it all the time, that's so effective because we're, we provide that body-on-body -body contact, and that is 
co-regulating and calming for children. And we know that because for centuries, moms have held and cuddled and rocked their babies. So naturally, little systems calm down when they are snuggled up to someone who loves them and who wants to be with them. Uh, it's also important because it helps reinforce your social and your emotional connections with that child. So I like to do it that way. Uh, and again, sometimes therapists miss this piece and we're so focused on the language or even the cognitive goal when we miss really providing the cues or the modifications that might make it easier for a child to calm down. And then once he's calm, we meet his sensory needs, then he begins to exhibit that connectedness or that social engagement piece. So again, that's why holding and um, paying attention to if it's a time that he'll allow himself to be held is so, so important. Um, and I, this is when I introduce a book in a session. It's when I see that a child is really settling down or when a child is already seeking comfort. So if a child has gotten hurt in therapy and he's going over to his mom for a hug or a kiss or something and mom's hugged him and he's gotten over that initial little um, boo-boo, whatever their routine is for that, and she's comforted him, but he's not quite ready to leave yet, that's when I'll introduce a book because a child is already pretty regulated and, again, is going to be more ready for that kind of activity. That's why reading at bedtime is really popular. And I know if you're a mom, if you're if you're a mom of typically developing children, you've already figured that out. They're calmer. They're more willing to listen at this point. But, again, our little guys of delays don't always have that ability to do that. So if that's been hard for you, I want you to look for other times of the day, again, when a child is more calm, when he's regulated, and when he's a little more apt to pay attention. Now, if reading is already a preferred activity for a child, meaning that he already likes books, this is not going to be really difficult to introduce. But if it's not a preferred activity, you, you really may have to catch a kid when timing is right to ensure that you are more successful. Uh, for kids who don't like to be held, and there are some kids who fall into this category, you could sit across from them and show them the book. And if for a kid who's having a really hard time establishing joint attention or eye contact, sitting across from them may be even better. But you want to be sure that you are getting low so that the child can see the book and see you too. Now, as I've gotten older, my back gives me and my knees and all these other body parts of what happens when you've sat on the floor for 20 years. So you may have to put a child up um, on a low chair or table and you sit on the floor right in front of him and you can keep your face really close to that book and, again, ensure that you were part of that. And we have lots of our little friends and clients who are on the spectrum and for those of you who are moms, I'm talking about the autism spectrum, if you've not heard that terminology before. But lots of those little guys are really love visual information. And so they may be drawn to books, but they really haven't let you join them yet. And sometimes modifying the environment like that where you are sitting for your face is on the same level as the book will help that become more of a shared activity. Okay, as you're showing the child the book, you need to do everything you can to maintain some kind of joint control. 
if it doesn't set the child off. Now, if he gets mad and he's not going to let you hold it, do your best to stay engaged. Do your best to stay part of the activity without letting it go to a full-blown tantrum or meltdown. Now, no child is going to learn language or, again, I think learn anything during that kind of power struggle. So you really want to do everything you can to avoid it. With kids who don't want to let me hold the book, I start with just place as they're holding the book, just placing my hand where they can see it on the side, on the top, where it's obvious to them, my hand is here, but you can still hold it. And for a lot of guys, that will work just fine. They have to know that you're not going to jerk it away from them, though, or they become super defensive, and again, you've lost the battle. You'll just have to work on that over time to help a child learn how to tolerate your participation with that, too. You also want to be sure that you're keeping your language pretty simple, so don't over-talk. And boy, is that hard for we chatty-patty speech pathologists or for moms who are really, really social. We can overstimulate children and drive them away just by using too much language. So what we want to do, especially in this first activity, is just label the picture, keep our comments really brief, and keep those little directions really simple, too. Once the child, once you are sure that he likes what you're doing and that he's going to stay for more than a second or two with the book, then you begin to model the action that you want him to complete. So let me just give you an example. If I had that book about babies, this is what I would say. I would say, baby, look, baby, kiss, kiss that baby, kiss, you kiss that baby, kiss. And again, I'm doing that same song, boys. Really nurturing. I can tell that some of you are irritated already. <laughs> but research has told us that children, young children, toddlers, babies, respond to this kind of talking. We call that mother ease or parent ease. And again, supported by research that children attend to this kind of talking more than if you just did the straight adult model. So if that's not been a way that you've tried to talk to children before, let me encourage you to give it a try. Now, you'll model and practice that same action several times. So if it, let's say that you're working with a child and you've done a great job getting him regulated and you've done a great job of setting, uh, you know, maintaining some kind of control, joint control over the book and you've modeled you know, and done a good job with your voice there, your really high affect. He's looking at you. He's watching you. But what happens if he still doesn't try to kiss the baby? At this point, I would move the book toward his mouth. Don't force him, but help him give that baby a kiss. But you're going to keep it fun. You're going to keep it light. And you just keep modeling that action. Padding may be a better target for a child that might, if you think that kissing might get a child who already wants to mouth the book to just start mouthing, don't do that first. <laughs> Go for patting first. And, again, you're going to say pat, 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 or something uh, really fun but really simple, and you're going to be really, really repetitive as you model that. And, again, remember model means that you're doing it, so you are actually patting the baby. And if a child doesn't try to pat the baby on his own, what do you do? Reach out and get his little hand and help them do it uh, and, and get him to pat the baby too. So when you're doing, when you're providing that hand-over-hand -hand assistance, let's talk about some things that can go wrong. Some children really resist help from an adult because the touch is aversive. Now, aversive meaning he doesn't like it. 
some people go straight to behavior here, and they say, oh, he does not want me to help him do anything. He de- he doesn't like it when anybody else is in charge, you know, all that stuff. That could be the reason, but a lot of times it's really more of a sensory response. You may not be providing firm enough pressure so that you're helping him feel ticklish or icky or in some way bad or not positive to that child. So provide that firm, um, calming, regulating pressure, even when you're helping a child do something like that. Now, if you notice that a child is resistive, I don't necessarily, again, create a power struggle over that. I just know over time I need to help that kind of kid be less um, tactically defensive. And, again, I could probably do a whole show about that. We're not going to talk about that. (laughs) We don't have time for that today. But do realize that um, helping him with a firmer touch is going to uh, make it a lot easier. But just because your touch is firm, don't let that change your facial expressions or how you're talking to him. Keep it fun. Keep it playful. You know, and certainly think about being sweet and nurturing and kind and loving as we're doing these things, too, because that's the part that's going to want to make the child include you in that experience, if you were being overly bossy, overly demanding, no wonder he wants you out of there. No wonder he runs or anything else. So make sure that you're making yourself a fun person to be with. Other movements that you might try at this level are getting your child to tickle the baby or hug the baby or, you know, if the baby's hand is there, give the baby five, anything that's a simple action. You may even introduce another object here. So you might have a spoon or a bottle or a cup and say, let's feed the baby and see if you can get uh, the child to do that with the picture of the baby. Now, again, it doesn't always have to make sense to you as the adult. (laughs) And sometimes I think we think too much about that. We overthink this. But any kind of using something to perform that simple action uh, is what you're going for. If you're using a book without a character, try some other actions. You can knock on a door, blow a balloon, smell a flower, pat a puppy, anything that you can think of to help a child imitate that action. Now, as the child gets better, you back off with your model and see if he can do it just from a verbal direction or a verbal instruction alone. But for most of these children, they need that model. So, And again, they're learning to perform that action because they have seen you do it first. Um, This is a nice first language activity, and it's, again, one that I use all the time when I um, don't think a child is super symbolic yet, meaning that he's not really, doesn't really understand what pictures and words mean, but it's just a way to get him to begin to purposefully look at and use a book. Now, if you've never done this kind of activity with a child before, this may be a little hard for you to learn. So get yourself the book that you're going to use and make yourself some little sticky notes so you can remind yourself, you know, you might say, what were all those actions that I just said? What was that list? You know, rewind, go back and listen to that, you know, kiss, hug, tickle, a pat, knock, you know, whatever you can think of, write your little actions down so you are ready. And let me caution you, don't try to introduce seven or eight things at one time. Just pick maybe two or three that you'll do the next several times you look at that book with that child so that he learns what to do and you're not overwhelming him by doing too much too soon. Um, Also, remember those other milestones that we talked about. 
particularly if you're not having success with this kind of activity, think what you should be thinking is the child is not developmentally ready, meaning that he's not at that 12 to 15 month developmental level. And so again, if you're a therapist and you have a child that you know that's functioning at the six to nine month level yet, and you try this for three or four weeks in a row and you're getting nowhere, it's just because he's not ready yet. You can stick with it, you can try, but again, that might be information that you use more diagnostically, thinking I've got to back it down and books aren't really, um, we're not ready to use books yet. What you might really work on with a kid at that level is just turning, is writing the book. You know, you present the book to the child upside down and see if he'll turn it over and you turn it the right way. And you have to you have to do that for him. You have to show him how to do it, particularly for children who have motor issues too. And again, if I have a child who's just hyper-focused on eating the book, I might think, how else can I meet this child's sensory needs besides him chewing up my book here? And that might mean that I would give him something else to do with his mouth. If he takes a pacifier, I would do that, or a teething toy, or a chewy toy, or even maybe having snack time while we're reading the book together. And again, uh, my my here is for him to begin to imitate those actions and get him ready for that next little step. Like, boy, I'm taking a long time with this. We are just on activity two. <laughs> Let's keep going. What's the next kind of book? It's a flap book. And so I like really simple flap books. My favorite one is Baby Says Peekaboo, and it's, again, by DK Books. And you can build on the previous activity with doing the same actions that you did with the other books. So for some kids, you might start here with this one. Uh, and so you're going to kiss the baby, pat the baby, do those really kinds of simple actions. Another one that I used here for um, kids who like these flat books is called Open the Barn, and it's uh, Open the Barn Door, I'm sorry, and it's by Christopher Santaro. And we do this all the things that we talked about before. We knock on the door of the barn. We tickle the pig. We get a baby wipe and wash the cow. And so many times kids, especially kids who um, like animals may respond to this book even better than the previous baby books. Now, some kids, when they see these flat books, they take it as a personal challenge to destroy the book. <laughs> Have you worked with kids like that before? They are trying to rip the page or rip the flap, and that's all they become fixated on doing. With that kind of child, I would know he's not ready for this yet. He cannot handle it yet. He does not understand the intent of the book. However, nearly all of my flat books, I have fortified with any kind of remo any kind of movable part, whether it's the door or whatever it might be. Is I'll just put an extra strip of tape uh, down the part that hold it as it opens and closes. And you know what I'm talking about not the not the edge of the door that would open, but the part that helps it adhere to the book. Go ahead and just uh, reattach, or even if it's not broken, uh, add some additional strength there by putting another piece of tape over that. The other thing that I've done is to make books like this so that I can give a child something that they can purposefully tear off the page and I will not get mad. <laughs> and this is by making Velcro books. Now, I like to get those Velcro dots, and you can buy those pre-made like at any office supply store or Walmart or Target. Um, you can also get the rolls and cut them yourself, but I'm an easy does it kind of girl, and so I like the dots. And what you do is you take a picture or you copy the, the your 
book. My favorite book to use for this is New by La La La, the Sandra Boynton book. Scan or copy the pictures in your book, print them, laminate the pictures, and then you'll put a dot of Velcro on the picture on the book or on the book and then on the the picture that you've made. So the child can purposely pull the picture off as you're reading together, or some children like to stick them on. And our little sensory seekers often like that even better than pulling because you teach them how to smush the picture down, and they really get into that and like it. And so, again, with the child here, you're not really matching. If a child is at this level, you're not probably going to be able to show him two pictures and say, you know, which one goes here. You'll just have the next picture ready for him to either put on the page or pull off the page. And remember, it's really child-specific. And say something fun. Create a verbal routine while you're doing this. So you say something. You'll read the words, but then you'll say something like, pull, as you rip that Velcro off. And it's a super way to involve these active, busy kids who usually don't give books a second glance because you're giving them something to do. And, again, you're providing that sensory feedback or that action that they their little bodies crave. You're providing this um, with the book. And so you can modify any picture book in this way and use it as you know, a carryover activity for teaching familiar math. I mean, you can use this method for almost any book that you have. Now, let me caution you and say, using books and pictures should not be the only way that we're teaching vocabulary and working on language. If you are just a book therapist, oh, my goodness, stop right now and go buy some toys. <laughs> Kids learn by doing, especially toddlers. And so we should really be using real-life activities and then following up with the book. In my opinion, it should never be your primary activity. But back to modifying books. Again, Velcro is a super way to do it, and our kids with motor delays need this kind of practice. So it's super, super, super for nearly everybody on your caseload. Now, there are some of you who are thinking, that is way too much trouble for me. I do not have that kind of time. But if you look at it in this way, the few minutes that you take to find the book, copy the pictures, Laminate the pictures so that the pictures don't get gross, you know, when a child tries to eat them or throw them or tear them up or whatever, and then Velcro the picture. You have a structured therapy activity you can use for 10 years. <laughs> so it is worth your time and a great return for your investment. All right, that was activity two. Let's go on to activity three. Now, this is very similar to activity one, but this is imitating uh, familiar actions with books, and this is we're going to copy what the character in the book is doing. Now, this is a fantastic activity for groups, and I'll tell you when I introduce it. When I have a few kids in a group that that the kids who are typically developing, uh, say I'm working with a child at a preschool or a daycare, and I have one kid that I'm there to see, but I don't do pull-out therapy. I keep the child in the classroom so that I'm involving his teacher and involving his, involving his peers, doing that natural environment stuff, keeping him there. And I'm thinking, how am I going to entertain the small group of children who the teacher has suddenly said, it's all yours. This is a great way to do it. It's also a great activity that you'll use with brothers and sisters who want to be involved with therapy if you're seeing a child at home or if mom happens to bring brothers and sisters uh, with you to see you where you are. 
there are some children, too, that are not aware of peers or brothers and sisters and don't have that social connection with same-age friends that you would want them to have. So this is a super way to target that and to introduce those kinds of opportunities for a child to want to notice his other little friends. So if you if you see the first hint of a child, say, watching his little friends when they're running on the playground or in the gym, but you see he just doesn't know how to insert himself into that activity, this is another um, thing that you can do with him. The, all the books that I'm going to talk about are action books, and I have three that I just love, and I'm going to tell you their titles so that you can try to find one of them. But remember, your goal is to get all the kids that are listening to imitate the action and to perform that action with you with the book. So my first one that I've used forever is an Elmo book. It's called Elmo Says. The latest version of this that I bought when my first version was totally gross and not usable anymore. It was published in 2009, and it's a Random House book. Another great book for this is Barney Plays Nose to Toes. And it's an older book, and now, oh, my goodness, it is so expensive. <laughs> I tried to find it um, on Amazon to get a replacement copy, and I think it was 20 bucks. So don't do that. Stick with the Elmo book. You don't want to make that kind of investment. But it, it's a great book because you are doing what – Elmo says, and again, you model the action yourself, and you encourage all the kids to complete the action too. And having other kids do that or mom do that with you is so helpful in getting a child to want to do uh, complete those actions too. Now, keep it fun and light, even if you're not getting 100% compliance. Use some hand over hand if it's not too disruptive and you know, doesn't make the child so mad that he wants um, to leave. The book in in one of the Elmo books that I talked about. It really is more like a mother may I book. Don't do that. Just do whatever Elmo's telling you to do. And I can't remember the exact words, but like, you know, pat your head or shake your leg or whatever it is. Uh, and don't don't add that other little complicating factor of waiting until Elmo says. <laughs> Just perform the action as you see it as you flip the page. And, again, we're looking for imitation and participation as our goal there. Now, here's another book that's by Eric Carle. It's called From Head to Toe. And I like it because you can use it for older kids who may not be into Elmo or Barney anymore, but you're still working on this same goal, which, again, is imitation of the body movement. And there's also a verbal routine there because it's a really repetitive book. And the tagline here is, can you do it? I can do it. And I love it after you've read it so many times and the kids start to fill in, I can do it. And you want to make that real chanty and real, again, fun and very repetitive. So you need to read that the same way every single time so kids catch on to that rhythm. Um, and I, I like for if I'm reading this with a group of toddlers, you know, I'll pump my hand in the air and scream, I can do it. And, again, that encourages your little ones to be verbal. And so you may even hear some early word attempts here. Um, that's an ideal activity for any kind of group. And, again, I've mentioned if you're working in a home with brothers and sisters, that's absolutely ideal, too. All right. Activity number four is learning to point on request. And remember, this happens when uh, children are usually in that 12 to 15-month developmental period. But so many of our kids with delays, 
can't point, and they there are various reasons for that. The child may have um, fine motor delays, and he can't isolate his little index finger. Children with low tone may have a really hard time with that. Sometimes it's just a motor planning issue, so there's a real kind of coordination problem there. And so I read this next little book. It's called Guess Who, and it's by Amazing Baby. And it's I got my copy at Kroger, but there's some other. I think you can get it um, at on Amazon too. But it's super cute and it's simple, and you can read it as written. But you use your heightened affect so that you're included in the activity, and so you'll say like, "Who's swimming and pond?" And then there's a silhouette there of a fish. And the main objective for this book is for the child to place a finger in the hole and then slide it out and reveal the picture. Of the fish. So cute, cute premise there for the book. And I've had kids do it. I've had kids that couldn't do it with their index fingers, so they did it with their thumbs. Our OT friends would tell us that's not okay. <laughs> so we would redirect them and really model doing it yourself with your index finger. And, you know, you may have to do some hand-over-hand assistance there. Other kinds of books at this level, the trios, playbooks are great for that because children have to use their pencil grasp there um so those are great ones to use here too and so again your your, this is a prerequisite skill to being able to point to pictures on request so if you have a child who who's not doing that piece you know you're going to look at the language piece but also consider the motor piece so you may have to work with a book that targets the motor skill of pointing or isolating an index finger so that a child, again, has the motor, has mastered the motor component of um, the skill. Now, sound books and books with buttons are also great for this kind of activity, but you have to make sure that a child is not going to become fixated or perseverative with pushing those buttons over and over again. If, if you have a child like that, don't use that kind of book. Otherwise, though, a sound book might be a good option because a child has a reason to be able to uh, push the button. And let me be clear about this, too. A child does not have to have a true point to, again, isolating that little index finger to point to a picture that you've asked him to identify. Touching a correct picture on request, I don't care if a kid does it with his whole darn hand, but if you want to work on that skill, you can certainly find uh, some ways to do it with books. All right, we just got through four of these activities today, uh, and I can't wait to share the rest of this with you. We're not going to do that next week because we have another fabulous guest scheduled. It's Carol Zangari from practicalaac.org, and she's going to be talking with us about all kinds of things related to AAC, and I hope that we're able to reschedule our special guest she was supposed to be on for today, and I hope everything's okay um, with her and that there's nothing huge going on. Maybe she just forgot. So anyway, that's all for today. And the next time um, we don't have a guest scheduled, we'll pick back up where we left off with Making Books Better. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech-language pathologist, and this was Teach Me to Talk, the podcast. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.